though no one really knows what goes on in Russia, Siberia, everyone knows it's one of the most extreme landscapes in the world. Covering most of northern Asia, the millions of square kilometers Russian Providence is sparsely populated, even to this day, with all sorts of technology that could potentially help humans thrive in these extreme climate. But even in Siberia, there are towns and settlements that seem absolutely uninhabitable. Yet, people survive. What if I told you that there were two towns in Siberia, thousands of miles apart, that both claim to hold the record for the coldest natural temperature ever recorded on Earth? Would you believe me if I told you near one was a highway known as the Road of Bones and that the other can't even be accessed by land? What if, even in temperatures as low as negative 90 degrees Fahrenheit, the people in these two towns have found a way to survive? Welcome to Nishi History, where we eschew the most famous tales and spotlight the lesser-known stories, the forgotten names, the interesting places, and the random topics of history. With me, Jessup Briggs, we'll dive deep into the archives and embark on a journey scouring the nooks and crannies of history. Today's is the story of natural extremes and human resilience, of excessive isolation even in the world's most isolated place. It's a story of how environment shapes the society, but society does a little shaping too. Today is the story of Vergoyans and Oymyak. I'm just going to put a little disclaimer right at the top here. If you've listened to all the previous episodes, you know I like to go around the world, but also that I am not good at pronouncing anything other than stupid English. So we are in Russia. A lot of these places and names are really hard. So just bear with me and I am sorry in advance. Uh, So that's my disclaimer and let's get into it. There are two poles of cold. In the southern hemisphere, the pole of cold is currently located in Antarctica at the Russian Antarctic station Vostok. And that's all that's in the southern hemisphere pole of cold, really, just research stations. And really, mainly just Vostok. But Vostok is cool because the coldest naturally occurring temperature on Earth was recorded there. This was in 1983. And can you guess how cold? Can you guess? It was negative 89.2 degrees Celsius or negative 128.6 degrees Fahrenheit. Can you even imagine how cold that is? No, just wait. It gets worse. So while the lowest naturally occurring temperature was recorded at Vostok, it's steadfastly not the coldest place on Earth um, and definitely not in Antarctica when you're thinking about consistent weather patterns. Now, the Southern Hemisphere's pole of cold is very interesting, but it's not our story today. No, today we are focused squarely in the Northern Hemisphere's pole of cold. In the Northern Hemisphere, there are two towns in Saka, Russia, that together hold the title of the pole of cold. These are Vorkoyansk and Oymyakran. And then a little side note, while not under the pole of cold title, Greenland recorded the lowest temperature in the Northern Hemisphere at negative 93.3 degrees Fahrenheit in 1991. Just a fun little fact for you. In February 1892, the coldest measured temperature was recorded at Verkoyansk, one of the two Siberian towns. This was negative 90 degrees Fahrenheit or negative 67.8 degrees Celsius. I say um, the coldest measured temperature of a permanently inhabited place. 
and in the northern hemisphere because obviously the southern hemisphere has the negative 128 degrees fahrenheit reading um but this negative 90 degrees fahrenheit reading or negative 67.8 degrees celsius it is a little unreliable because there were some issues with recording devices that were used so long ago um but we'll get into that during our Verkoyansk discussion. The widely accepted coldest temperature recording happened on February 6, 1933, at Ormayakron. A temperature of negative 67.7 degrees Celsius or negative 89.9 degrees Fahrenheit was recorded at Ormayakron's weather station. So that makes the Verkoyansk and Ormayakron coldest temperatures only 0.01 degrees in difference if if i can read numbers right most likely i did the decimal wrong so please correct me if i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure it's 0.01 degrees difference to this day nearly a hundred years after the negative 89.9 degrees fahrenheit reading at ormayakron these two siberian towns are the coldest permanently inhabited places in the entire world but before we get into them, let's talk a little bit about Siberia, and specifically the Saka Republic, because Siberia is absolutely ginormous. But both towns are in the Saka Republic, which is in northern Siberia, so we're going to focus there. Saka, now the largest republic in Russia, was created in 1922. According to Britannica, the climate of Saka is the most severe of the inhabited world. It's entirely too cold for any sane person to live there, but uh, they do. It seems that the extremely dry air and mild weather conditions makes the lower temperatures bearable. And when I say mild weather conditions, I mean that they don't get a lot of things like rain or snow or windstorms. Um, obviously, when we're in the negative double digits, that's kind of, that's extreme. Um, but, and then it's also super dry. In the Saka Republic, they get between 8 and 16 inches of rain annually, or precipitation annually. For comparison, California has averaged 23 inches of rain annually over the last century. New Mexico, a certified desert state, gets an average of 13 inches of rain annually. So out in the Saka Republic, it's a winter wonderland desert. Another interesting fact, the entire republic has permafrost. Permafrost is perennially, or basically permanent, frozen ground-slash-natural material with a temperature colder than freezing, so 0 degrees Celsius and 32 degrees Fahrenheit. This temperature, which is the exclusive determinant for permafrost, has to be continuous for two or more years. At Saka's capital, uh, Yakutsk, the permafrost is 450 feet deep. But on the coast, I'm assuming that means the northern coast, but Britannica didn't actually specify. <laughs> Either way, there's fossil ice there, which reaches a thousand feet or more into the ground. Another thing that I found really cool is the Melnikov Permafrost Institute Underground Laboratory, which is in Yakutsk. It has a tunnel showcasing fossils, including a mammoth calf in below freezing temperatures. Uh, so things that the permafrost have um, preserved. So it's it's cool stuff, but it is absolutely deathly freezing. So let's talk about the two cities that brought this part of Siberia into the world's view.
Our first city is Oymyakon. I'm going to start with an excerpt from Maxim Shematov's Reuters article about his time there. Quote, Deep in the snowy landscape of Saka lies the Oymyakon Valley, also known to some as the Pole of Cold. This is the coldest place in the Northern Hemisphere, according to most Russian climatologists. And yet, here are schools, a post office, a bank, even an airport runway, albeit open only in the summer. All the trappings of an almost civilized life in the valley center. I could not help asking local people how they carried on a semblance of normal life in such extreme conditions. What I heard as a response was an anecdote from Sergei Verev, a smiling vill- villager in his 40s. Class was canceled once when he was a schoolboy because the air temperatures had dropped to negative 65 degrees Celsius. To celebrate, he and his classmates got together to play football on the icy streets. Did I need any better answer? And in truth, when temperatures dropped to negative 55 degrees Celsius a few days after my arrival, I stopped noticing the cold. With no wind chill and the air sapped of moisture, a day like that here is comparable to Moscow at negative 25. I even stripped down to a fleece jacket to chop firewood outside for half an hour, unquote. It's almost like Elsa's ice palace. Like, it seems absolutely impossible that people could live there without magical powers and like being an, a literal ice queen, but they do, and it's just their normal life. Oymyakron is classified as a rural locality, so it's not even technically a town. It's too small. It is the coldest permanently inhabited human settlement on Earth, although Vrkoyansk also says that they are that. Oymyakron's average winter temperature is negative 58 degrees Fahrenheit. One of the reasons it's so cold is because it's got a valley on either side of it, and these valleys trap the wind and create a colder climate. And it can actually get relatively warm in the summers because it's got what's called a subarctic climate, meaning long freezing winters and short warm summers because there's no regulation or moderation from the ocean. Yeah, so that's why coastal areas have such steady weather where you don't usually see much change even if it's kind of colder up to the north or warmer when you're in a southern coast the ocean moderates the weather but this is these towns are so far inland water is not the ocean is like not even doesn't even exist so they have no moderation And with its long freezing winters, Ormiakran has never recorded an above freezing temperature between the 26th of October and the 16th of March. So they have not only freezing winters, but long winters. Almost six months of winter. Two-thirds of the... Wait, three, six, nine, two. (laughs) Half. Half of the year is is below freezing temperature. We started with Omniakram because it regularly clocks colder winters than our upcoming town, Vrkoyansk. Granted, the mean difference in temperature is 2.3 degrees Celsius, but still, it is the coldest place in the Northern Hemisphere and the coldest inhabited place on Earth. According to the Indian Economic Times, locals claim birds freeze to death in mid-flight because it's so cold. And then winter is anywhere between nine to six months long and Everything freezes, not just the bird, 
everything freezes, from electronics to gasoline to garbage bags. Children are not allowed to play outside for more than 20 minutes on a typical winter day. In 2008, a series of pipes burst in two nearby villages, forcing residents to huddle together for warmth. I also read a story, I don't remember the year on it, but they have people who shovel coal to keep their water system warm. If they don't, all the water will freeze and the system will explode because everything froze. Like everything freezes. Now, for lifestyle itself in Amiakran, I couldn't find a whole lot, which I guess isn't surprising considering it's A, Russia, and B, Siberian Russia. But the economy seems to be mostly based in fur trading and ice fishing. Um, and they have to have everything imported, even water, because everything is just frozen. As for the population, none of the sources really corroborated each other, but it looks like at its peak, it had a couple thousand people, and presently the population has dropped to below a thousand. One source said 900 and one said 500, so I'm not entirely sure how tiny Ormiakron is, but either way, it's tiny, and it's the coldest city on earth. Approximately 100 kilometers, or about 62 miles, from Omiyakran is a highway. It goes by many names. The official name is the R504 Kolmia Highway. Locals call it the Kolmia Route, and the world knows it as the Road of Bones. The Road of Bones is 2,031 kilometers long, or 1,262 miles long, and it runs east-west from Yaksuk, the capital city of the Saka Republic, across said republic to Magadan, an administrative center and port. If you go to the episode description, I've added a couple Google Maps links, and one of them takes you to the official beginning of the Road of Bones at Yaksuk, and you can follow that solid black line across Siberia to the other end. Um, and then I've also included screenshots of the route on the Instagram, nishihistory underscore pod. But I know you're all asking, why is it called the Road of Bones? That's what you really care about, not how long it is or where it goes to. <laughs> well, the Kolmia Highway was constructed during the Stalinist era, which is immediately a bad sign. Inmates from labor camps and gulag labor worked on the highway between 1932 and 1953. Time for another one of my favorites, a side note. <laughs> for those of you like me who don't quite understand what the gulag is, even if you've heard the term, I have the shortest Wikipedia-supported rundown for you. The Gulag was a government agency set up by Vladimir Lenin in charge of the Soviet Union's forced labor camps. Joseph Stalin expanded the Gulag's deadly reach during his rule in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. Scholars have estimated 14 million prisoners went through the Soviet labor camps during their three decades long operation, and that 1.5 to 1.7 million of them died inside the camps or closely after release. With the Kolmia Highway, around 700,000 prisoners worked on the road during its 20 years of construction. Of those 700,000 prisoners, anywhere between 150 to 250 hundred thousand never left the road. It's believed that their bones are laid beneath and around the road because it was easier to bury those who died during construction on the road itself instead of digging new holes in the permafrost ground. 
So when you drive the Colmia Highway, you could very well be driving over the bones of hundreds of thousands of forced laborers. Thus, the Road of Bones. While it has a very saddening past, the Road of Bones does have interesting functions. It's really the only overland travel path in the Saku Republic of Siberia. Inside that 1,198,200 square miles area, you either have transport over the rivers, which is usually only feasible for like a quarter of the year, then there are winter sled trails, or you can travel by air. In fact, we'll get to it in a second, but really air travel is the only reliable way to get to our second city at all. And even though the Road of Bones is the only real mode of land travel in the Saka Republic, it's not a highway or a paved city street. It's got no asphalt because it's literally built on frozen solid ground that is always frozen solid because it's permafrost. Instead, the path is covered with clay and gravel. And though in 2008 it was granted federal road status, which I don't entirely know what that means because it's it's Russia and we don't know what's going on in Russia, um, but basically it's supposed to be a well-maintained road now, uh, but it's not from what I can tell. Dangerous Roads said that it is extremely dangerous to travel no matter when you drive it. During the summer, everything sort of thaws, and so the road is just covered in excessive, ruthless mud that will swallow up a tractor like it's a bicycle. During the 10 months long winter, it's frozen and covered with ice. And while the ice saves you from the mud, anyone who grew up with white winters knows that ice doesn't make driving easier. It makes being on the road incredibly dangerous. And with the ice and winter comes snow and reduced visibility. So it's always a lose-lose when you're traveling the road of bones. Even without taking the weather into consideration, it's a horrible road to drive on. Dangerous Road said that the Colmia Highway, quote, remains one of the most desolate, with few travelers knowing of the world's most frozen road or its tragic history, unquote. So if you're stuck in a bind, like your car freezing and you not being able to start it again... You're all on your own because you can bet your butt there's no cell phone reception along all all thousand miles of that thing. On top of all of that, it's extremely difficult to navigate. In 2008, when the road was given that federal road status, it was also quote unquote upgraded. The, The route was updated, so it added a curve that went further up north in, in like a middle of the journey. I'll post a picture of the old versus the new route so you can see the difference. And so that curve replaced a little over 400 kilometers of the original Road of Bones, and the that original section was abandoned. And that means it's completely unmaintained. In a place where you're already battling the elements, you don't need another obstacle. But the worst part is, most maps are outdated. They'll take you on the shorter route, the older route that is now known as the Old Summer Road. But remember, this road is completely unmaintained. There's a really sad story of two teenagers in 2020 who were led astray by the Russian version of Google Maps. I think it's called Y Maps or something. And they took the old summer road route instead of the updated route along the new road of bones. The car broke down and one of the kids froze to death in his car and the other one survived but lost most of his limbs to frostbite. I've left a link in the news article that goes into more detail. I highly recommend you go and read it. I'll make sure it's bolded in the episode description because 
it is really a fascinating read. And it's crazy what the unnatural environment can do to us. Now, the Road of Bones is really cool, and it seems to be one of the only reliable ways to get to Omiyakon. It does not, however, go north far enough to reach Verkoyansk, the second Siberian town that makes up the northern hemisphere's pole of cold. In fact, in the summer, there isn't any land access to Verkoyansk at all, because the rivers and the marshes are temporarily melted, which is what they use when they do do the land travel. Spiegel claimed that in the winter, there's a, quote, rudimentary track, unquote, called Simnik that you can use to get to Verkoransk. And the track is literally over those frozen waterways, like the Jana River and other lakes. Simnik is also the eight-day route from Yakutsk to Verkoyansk, which trucks drive to bring food and fuel into the isolated, tiny, freezing town. So let's talk about this tiny, tiny town that is so isolated, you can only really get there by helicopter. Verkoyansk is around 400 miles north of Yakutsk, the Saka Republic capital. It's almost 3,000 miles east of Moscow. A 2006 Spiegel article, The Cold War at the Arctic Circle, said, quote, Verkoyansk now holds the distinction of being the smallest city in the world's largest country. The rest of Russia seems worlds away, unquote. Now, it's got about 1,400 people, so it's no longer the tiniest town. Oymyakron is, uh, if you can tell, these two towns butt heads a lot. Go read the Spiegel article about extreme tourism and how each city tries to bring tourists to the world's coldest town. It's, of course, linked in the episode description. So let's go through some history of Vrgoyansk. People started, for the lack of a better word, settling in early 1800s. Between the mid-1800s and early 1900s, Vrkoyansk was a town where political exiles were sent, which is why I hesitate on the word settling. They were forced there. The town is located close to the northwestern edge of the Yana or Mayakran Highlands, a cold and sparsely populated area, of course. I put a screenshot uh, of and a link to the Google Maps pin of Verkoransk. So go take a look at it. It's actually stunning how isolated this town is. Like you can see the mountains cut it off from any meaningful neighbors. Like its fellow pole of cold town, or Mayakran, Verkoransk has a subarctic climate. So long freezing winters and short warm summers. It's really dry with an average of 7.2 inches of precipitation a year. So that's even less than Normayakran. Now, what's interesting about Vrkoyansk's climate is that it has some of the most extreme temperature differences on Earth, meaning the winters there are so cold, but the summers there are basically like regular winters. And that's part of the lack of moderation from the ocean, uh, from the ocean being so far away, right? When Vrkoyansk recorded... 104 degrees Fahrenheit in 2020, it broke the record for the greatest temperature range in the world, like between coldest and hottest records. And that was a that was at 190.4 degrees Fahrenheit. That was the range. Now there are a handful of towns in Canada and Siberia, some of the most extreme environments in the world, that have temperature ranges right around 180 degrees Fahrenheit, but they've never gotten above 189 degrees Fahrenheit in their temperature ranges. 
And it also seems that Vorkoyansk holds the record for the hottest temperature ever recorded north of the Arctic Circle at 38 degrees Celsius even, or 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit. But it also ties with the coldest temperature ever recorded with Amayakon at negative 67.8 degrees Celsius or negative 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Actually, let's talk about that record for a second. Remember in the beginning when I talked about how Omoyakon had the coldest reliable temperature recorded? That's because back when Verkryans recorded the negative 90 degrees Fahrenheit in 1892, they were using a spirit thermometer. According to one Dr. A. Meshrikoya, who I think was a meteorologist, but I couldn't quite confirm what kind of scientist he was. In 1979, he explained that spirit thermometers are less accurate than mercury thermometers because the spirit is an evaporative liquid or something, and so the measurement has to be corrected, and that usually means the reading is colder than the actual temperature. So we have no way of knowing exactly what temperature it was on that cold May day of 1892. It might have been the coldest temperature ever by 0.01 degrees, but due to unreliable tools, it might not be. But reliable or not, Verkhoyansk and Ormikron both claim the title of lowest temperature recorded. Regardless of who is right, Verkhoyansk is still outrageously cold. It's got a 7 degree Fahrenheit average annual temperature. It has never recorded a temperature above freezing. <laughs> it has never recorded a temperature above freezing between November 10th and March 4th. Mean monthly temperatures are below freezing from October through April and exceed 10 degrees Celsius or 50 degrees Fahrenheit from June through August. So that gives Verkhoyansk a seven to nine months winter and a five to three months summer. Disgusting. But also their winters are a little bit shorter and usually a little bit warmer than Amiokrin's, which is why Amiokrin claims to be the coldest town on earth because of the consistent reliable colderness no because their winters are consistently and reliably more cold than Verkhoyansk is okay have i hammered home enough that this place is cold let's move on to the people and the culture unlike omayakron there is at least some information about the lives of locals in Vorkoyansk. The tiny town is trying to recruit tourists to the coldest place on earth, and so it's opened the town up for a public view, or as public of a view as the outside world can get into Russia. Verkhoyansk's economy is actually much more diverse than Omiakron, though from my view of Google Maps, it looked a lot more isolated. But there's a river port and an airport. There's also a fur collecting trade um, and they raise reindeer there. It's been dubbed, quote, the most miserable place in the world, quote, by Business Insider. And Von Walter Mayer's Spiegel article said, quote, the city is desperate for a connection to the modern world. Despite its remoteness, it can offer tourists one very important thing, true, unadulterated Russian reality, unquote. I don't know about you, but that's never something I went looking for, but I guess that's why it's called extreme tourism. Mayer's article gives a really insightful overview of life in Verkhoyansk, at least in 2006. It doesn't seem anyone's been there in recent years. Um, I wonder why. 
Anyways, the article says, quote, The reality in modern-day Verkhoyansk means retirees spending a third of their pensions on firewood, despite already receiving a subsidy for about the same amount from the local government. Drinking water from the Jana River is delivered by tractor in the form of blocks of ice, in return for cash payment. Local inhabitants are more than likely to sow their indispensable yontis, or boots, made of reindeer fur, which can cost up to 500 euros in a retail shop. Old thermal clothing, free during Soviet days, is worn as long as possible. With January temperatures corresponding to the average annual temperature on Mars, no one can stay outside for more than 15 minutes. The only way to prevent death from exposure is to wear the pelts and skins of animals that live above the Arctic Circle and to keep moving. Wood fires in roadside huts and car engines kept running throughout the day provide respite to anyone forced to spend time outdoors. Unquote. This description sounds similar to Maxim Shematov's Reuters article about Omiakran, doesn't it? When it really boils down to it, these two towns are quite similar. They're brutal places to live, forgotten pockets of inhabited extreme environment with resilient people just trying to survive. I think a lot of the extreme tourism what? I think a lot of the extreme tourism has gone down too. We definitely haven't seen any in the 2020s. And I'd like to hope that advances in technology have helped these people live more comfortably and maybe even connect a little more, if not with the world, at least with the rest of Russia. But modern technology or no, people have survived in these tiny Siberian towns for hundreds of years. Omayakran and Vorkayansk are examples of resilience of humanity, but also the power of the natural environment. Neither should be underestimated. All right, folks, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. I hope you're not too cold wherever you are. Please like, rate, comment, interact with the show and the episode any way you can. It really helps with the algorithm and helps more people find the show. Also, if you have any topic suggestions or niche historical stories you'd like me to cover, please email nichehistorypodcast at gmail.com. Finally, as always, go follow the Instagram, nichehistory underscore pod. I always post pictures with each episode that can help really ground you in this story. So go do that now, and I'll see you next week, where we'll open another time capsule to a niche tale in history. Mm-hmm.